Well, good morning. Uh, glad you're here. If you're joining us online, also glad you're here. Um, my dad was a World War II vet. He was a uh, navigator on a B-29. He had orders to the Pacific when um, the atomic bombs were dropped on Japan and the war ended. Um, he told me he enlisted before he was 18 years old, so they gave him a six-month deferment, and his mother didn't want him to go, and she cried and begged. But after two months, he said, that's it. I'm going. And I thought, really? What was, what was that about? He said, son, you don't understand. In that day, it was a complete war effort. Everybody sacrificed, even those who stayed home, did with less food, less whatever. You worked in a munitions factory, you worked in a medical supplies factory, you worked in supply. It was just a commitment to this end of crushing the, the, the enemy, the Nazi and, and the uh, Japanese opposition. Well, I share that to say, just as the U.S. government was working, taking everybody's effort, God uses every one of our steps of faith. Um, he has a purpose for me, he has a reason, and he needs his people, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, he needs everyone moving forward in faith. And I want to talk about what God does with our steps of faith this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn it to uh, 1 Samuel 14, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll go through verse 52, wrestling with this question, how does God use our steps of faith? How does God use our steps of faith? Now, if you haven't been with us. We're going through a series entitled Reliant, um, which traces the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, Israel's move from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. And Reliant, because God is calling people to rely on himself, but there are people who are resistant to that. Uh, we opened with a lady um, dealing with infertility, and she relied upon the Lord, and she asked for a... Son, and God gave it to her. And she said, I'll dedicate this son. His name was Samuel. And he was recognized as a lad, as the voice of God. From north to south, they understood that. But Israel didn't really want to rely on God. They, they, they wanted peace in their land. And they thought, what we really need is a king. Because that's what everybody else has got. They got a king. So they're going to push the issue. We want a king. And, and Samuel said, well, you know, if you get a king, king's going to take it. You can take it. You can take it. You can take They said, I don't care. We want a king anyway. God said, give them what they want. And God said, I'll, I'll answer that request so you'll ultimately know I am what you need. When Saul was anointed as the first king, God's wording was very, very interesting and very specific. He didn't call him a king. He called him a prince. He called him a ruler. And the idea was you, Saul, would rule under my authority. You wouldn't have absolute authority like kings of the day. Somehow that message didn't get home to Saul. Samuel the prophet said, look, after you, I anoint you. I want you to go to Gilgal, and I want you to wait until I come to offer the sacrifices. Well, he was there. The Philistine army was huge. We'll talk about how huge in just a minute. And, and people were slipping away, and Saul thought, man, I, I, better, I better go ahead and do this. So he offered the sacrifice, and Samuel showed up and said, you know, you're a fool. And instead of repenting, Saul rationalized his sin, and Samuel said, you know what? I'm done. God's moving on. That's where we pick it up today in chapter 14. The Philistine threat is very real. If you weren't with us last week, they have 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. 
Israel has started with an army of 3,000. We'll see that's decreasing. That's where we pick it up. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now, the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Just a note, but he did not tell his father. We don't know why, but here's what I guess. Jonathan doubted his father's judgment, and he doubted his father's valor. Uh, verses 2 and 3 say Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah. What's he doing? In this time of war, he's administering the kingdom. Under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migran, and the people who were with him were about 600 men. So we've gone from 3,000 to 600. People are disappearing. And Abijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh was wearing an ephod. Ephod means we're going to seek the Lord. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Here's the problem. When we open the book of 1 Samuel, Eli was the priest and his two sons were corrupt. Eli didn't discipline his sons. And God said, you know, I'm going to bring judgment and to show it's me. Your sons will die on the same day, which they did in battle. And when Eli heard that, he fell over backwards and broke his neck and died. And God said, I'm moving on from your family as a line of priests. And very soon after that, or around that time, uh, end of chapter 3, it said, All of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south, understood that Samuel was anointed as God's prophet. So people understand that Samuel is the voice of God. Why then is Saul going back to a line of priests that God said, I'm done with? You know, when we get desperate, we get irrational. And we assume we can hear from God here, there, or everywhere. And as a pastor, over the years, I get all kinds of crazy stuff. People explaining to me, this is how they know it's the will of God. It's what they feel. It's what they heard. It's what they saw in the news. It's what they saw in the horse. I don't know. But this is why we're in the Bible every week. And friends, we believe God is speaking right here. And this is why we beseech you to be in the word on your own. Daily, if you will. Once, if you're just eating once a week, you're going to be awfully hungry. Physically. Spiritually, if you're just eating once a week, you're going to be awfully hungry spiritually. That you might know the will of God. God is speaking here. Would we be people who know and understand God and his purposes? Verses 4 and 5, I'll let you read in your own. It talks about Jonathan passes through some rough terrain to get where he needs to be. In verse 6, it says this. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. Now catch this attitude. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or a few. Whoa, 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 Jonathan, you got some bad numbers going here. If you're in Vegas, you want to be betting on the Philistines in this thing, okay? 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, Israel's down to 600 men. But Jonathan's saying, I'm not going to be deterred by that. Because God is not obligated to save by a lot or a few. The God we serve, he's bigger than all this. He created all this. He speaks it into existence. He, he does as he pleases. I came to college, uh, Christ in college, and we'd have a speaker come in, and he used to, uh, he'd come in every once every year or so. He'd, he'd say this, try something so big that if God doesn't show up, you'll fail. 
A step of faith. I need God to show up. Well, that's what Jonathan's doing, man. God better show up here because the numbers are not in his favor. Verse 7, his armor bearer goes with him. Verse 8, Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they, if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be a sign to us. So Jonathan says, You know, if we show up and they say, Hey, wait there, we'll, we'll just wait. But if they come up to us, we'll, we'll know the Lord's in this. So, verse 11 and 12, when both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. Wonder how many there are. So, the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Verse 13, then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet with his armor bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer put some to death. The first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer was about 20 men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. 20 men, that's not a lot. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 soldiers. I mean, good win, good win, but, but you got a long way to go. I mean, why, why would that be that big a deal? Verse 15. And there was a trembling in the camp. Two of, our, I got, two of their guys just took out 20 of ours. They're coming up out of the holes. In the field and among all the people, even the garrison and the raiders trembled. And the earth quaked, so there became a great trembling. God is multiplying this effect. It's 20 out of 36,000. How many soldiers? But it set off a fear. And what, how many, how many, what, what about, what about, what about? And God is going to use this simple step of faith to work a great victory. The purpose of the victory? To free the people to enjoy the land. That was God's desire. That was his purpose for his people. That they would be blessed and they would be at peace in the land. So, how does God use our steps of faith? God uses our steps of faith to move his purposes forward. God uses our steps of faith to move his purposes forward. But you know, the idea of stepping out in faith, that's just for Jonathan. It's just not for the pastors. It's for everyone who follows Jesus. That we get in a place where, man, God better show up or we're going to fall flat in our face. And steps of faith can take a lot of, a lot of forms. But I, I want to suggest that because we serve a relational God, steps of faith would involve you and me moving towards people. So I was about three years in working in a ministry called Campus Crusade, and I had a really uh, deflating time. I had applied to go overseas on a one-year mission project. I got turned down. That led to me seeing a counselor. I began to explore things about my background and my relationship with my dad and how that affected my view of God and others. Uh, later that semester, I applied to be a campus director. I was in Fort Collins. I applied to be a campus director in Greeley. I got turned down on that. And I was pretty disheartened. I worked on a staff team of eight, four men, four women. Uh, one of the guys on our team and his wife got offered that position, and he turned it down. And so it's about April of the semester. I don't know. And, and that guy, Dan, and I 
Our, we're going from Fort Collins, Colorado to Gunnison, Colorado, um, Western State College. We're going to be doing some campus ministry there. We're on I-25, and we're driving. And out of the blue, he says to me, Andy, I know it's been a tough go. But he says, uh, I want to tell you, you're going to be fine. Because you don't duck your issues. And I'd been in a kind of a cohort with three, four of us staff guys, so they've been hearing all of what's going on. He said, man, you're, you're really courageous for looking at these things. Well, I didn't feel very courageous. I felt like a failure. And, and he said, he said, you know, I, I know you know that I got offered the position and turned it down. He said, know this, I'm 31 and, and you're 27. Four years makes a lot of difference. I'm married and you're single. I think one day you will be married, but having a wife gives you some stability. I think God's going to use you if you'll just stay the course. I thought that was a courageous step on his part. Because I could, wow, you got offered the position that I couldn't even, I could, man, I needed a word of encouragement. And that brother in Christ took a step of faith. Could you? Take a step of faith that would move towards somebody. You know, we're always looking for people in our children's ministry and our, our youth ministry because we believe part of our call is to partner with parents to raise up the next generation. You have no idea how God might use your step of faith to invest in some kid's life. When I went through seminary, I, I, I did a middle school Sunday school class. I did it for two and a half years. And we were leaving, we were going overseas, and it was a goodbye party. And I, I said to these uh, kids, you, you won't remember anything I taught you. And one of these kids, he's really sharp. He said, you're right, we won't remember a thing you said. But we'll remember you. You know, and every year I go back to Colorado, and I meet with a family. And, and one of their sons was in that middle school class. And he always say, tell Andy Hello. Could you take a step of faith towards someone? Maybe you're in an office, an environment, which, you know, it's not really a Christian environment. You know, if, if you'd be willing just to identify, you don't have to go full on Jesus, but identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. You read the Bible, you go to church. You don't know how you might encourage someone else. Maybe you're a student and you're in the cafeteria in middle school or high school, and there's a kid who sits all by themselves because they're on the margin socially. God cares for the vulnerable. Could you live out God's conviction by sitting down across from that person and having lunch? You don't know how, might God, how God might use that. Maybe it has to do with, with your time. Um, when I was a, in graduate school, I was involved with Campus Crusade, and it was the fall semester, and they came and they made a, a presentation for summer projects, and I'd heard too, and I, I don't go on these things. And the Spirit of God said, You're going. So I did, summer of 1983. I spent a summer in Panama City, Florida. It changed my life. For the first time in my life, I gave the keys of my life to God and said, you direct. I don't know if you saw it in our newsletter, but we're taking a mission trip as a church from the, to the Dominican Republic. I think it's May 31st to June 6th. I may have the dates wrong. But would you consider going on that? You don't know how God might use that. God's calling us, men and women, to take steps of faith wherever we are in our context, that he might move his purposes forward. Now, we talked about in narrative, God often 
shows he doesn't tell. And he's going to show by contrast of a man who's not connected to God, but living a form of religion. That man is Saul. Verse 16 said, Now Saul's watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. This is the Philistine multitude. All 30,000 chariots and six, they're freaking out. And they were here and there. Saul said to the people who were with him, Number how and see who has gone from us. What, he's wondering what's causing this. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Verse 18, then Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. And he's going to count on the ark of God. Now, if you were with us earlier, you know, back in the first part of 1 Samuel, they thought, we'll take the ark of God into battle, and he'll have to win, and it didn't. They lost the battle. They lost the ark. God showed up and showed himself strong, and they got the ark back. But, but again, Saul is not learning. He's holding to a form of religion. Hey, if we just get the ark here, things will really go well for us. Um, verse 19, Saul says, you know what? This, this commotion is really going. We're, we're not going to wait for God. We're just going to go forward. So they do. Verses 20 to 22. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around in the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, remember these people that slipped away, heard that the Philistines had fled, even they also pursued them closely in the battle. So all of a sudden, Israel's got people joining in. Verse 23, so the Lord, who? Who delivered them? Who? The Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth Haven. Remember, Saul is disconnected from God. He has chosen not to repent when convicted of sin, but he's still living this form of religion. Verse 24, now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day. Why? For Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the people tasted food. First of all, it's the Lord's battle, but Saul's saying, I'm going to avenge myself on my enemies. He's personalized what is the Lord's. But because he's holding to a form of religion, he says, you know, if we want to get stuff done, we, we, do, a, we do a fast. So God really show you main business. I, I'm going to claim a fast. Well, that's a dumb idea. It's a dumb idea and a bad idea because men need their strength. Verses uh, 25 and 6 shows God's provision. All the people of the land entered the forest and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his man, hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under oath. Therefore, he put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in honey, comb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then, uh-oh, verse 28, uh-oh, one of the people said, Your father strictly put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary, except Jonathan, because he ate. What's Jonathan's response? Verse 29 and 30, my father has troubled the land. See now, because my eyes have brightened, because I have tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. Remember, for, for God's purposes, Israel had to clear the Philistines. They were ubiquitous, enemy, always raiding. For them to enjoy the fullness of the land, the Philistines had to be gone. But Jonathan said, because of this stupid oath, that Saul put on, who was living a form of religion, but was not in a relationship with God, the slaughter won't be as great. Verses 31 to 35, I'll let you read in your own. 
The people are famished, so when they take the spoil from the victory, the livestock, they don't drain the blood. That's a, a violation of the Levitical law. So let's pick it up in verse 36. Then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and take spoil among them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. So the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So they, they want to seek God. Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him on that day. Saul's not getting an answer. And he thinks, uh-oh, somebody broke the oath. Verse 38, draw near to me, all you chiefs of the people, and investigate and see how this sin, the sin being the oath, has happened to you. Somebody took food. Well, verses 39 through 42, they draw lots, and it shows Jonathan's the one who did it. So we get to verse 34, 43, and it says, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you've done. So Jonathan told him, said, I did taste a little honey with the end of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I must die. Saul, being very kingly, comes down hard. May God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. You're going to take out the man of faith for your stupid oath. Verse 45, but the people said to Saul, uh-uh. Must Jonathan die who has brought about the great, this great deliverance in Israel? They understand. This is Jonathan's doing. Far from it. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. That, that's a credibility issue when you're the king, and you make this pronouncement, and the rest of the people are going, oh, yeah, we're not doing that. But that's exactly what happened. Saul, your judgment is whacked. It's a way out of balance. And even though you got authority, we're overruling you. You say this guy's died. No, it's not happening today. Saul's credibility is taking a hit as king. Verse 46, they call off the pursuit. And then verse 47 through 52 tells about Israel living in a constant state of warfare because of the Philistines. You know, God is uh, calling not just Jonathan and not just pastors and not just missionaries, but he's calling every man and woman to take a step of faith right where you are, right in your circumstances. Again, Jonathan looked at the numbers saying, hey, man, God isn't constrained to save by a few or by many. So I'm gonna, Jonathan says, I'm going to step into this and God's got to come through. Again, where can you step out? Who can you move to? What, 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 what can you do in your life? That God has to come through, lest you fail. You know, we serve a Savior that modeled this. He entrusted himself to the Father. He did nothing without the Father's approval. In 1 Peter, Peter wrote about Jesus, and he's writing about suffering. And he's telling how we were called to suffer, and he, he pointed to Jesus. He's speaking about Jesus here. Here's what I Point out, and while being reviled, talking about Jesus, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Jesus is fully human. Why didn't he do this? But he did what? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. See, Jesus modeled that, this kind of faith. This ain't going well, but I'm entrusting myself to the Father. We ask Jesus to build that attitude in us. 
that we're entrusting ourselves to the Father as we step out in faith. Because see, God is using your step of faith and my step of faith to move his purposes forward. Well, if you've heard me preach before, you know I'm a Michigan fan, Michigan football first, but this is Michigan basketball. About three years ago, they had a team that made the Elite Eight. Honestly, I think if it hadn't been for a key injury, they would have made the finals. Two of those players are in the NBA. Two players are in the G League. There's another player still on the team. I think we'll be in the NBA. It was loaded with talent. And this game was the end of the season. They're playing Ohio State, who's their big rival. And it was an intense game. It went down to the last possession, and Michigan won. What was interesting to me was they took the camera to Juwan Howard, who's the head coach. And he does a 180, and he spins around, and he looks up into the crowd, and he points, and he shakes his fist to celebrate the win. Who was that? It wasn't his wife, because they had shown his wife. She was down courtside. And, you know, everybody rushes the court, but not him. He turns around 180 degrees and points up. You know who he's pointing to? A guy on the scout team. Now, the scout team is who you practice against. And when you travel, you can only take so many. So this guy didn't even make the travel squad. But they asked him in the interview, what was that about? He said, look, we couldn't have won that game without this guy in the scout team pushing and pushing and pushing. And here's a kid who, who not only did he not make the floor in the game, but he didn't even make the bench. He didn't even make the travel squad. But the coach says, man, I want to celebrate with you. Do you understand? God's looking for me. I, I, I'm just part of the travel squad. Yeah. Yeah. God takes little old you and little old me. He says, I need, I can use your steps of faith to move my purposes forward. Would you be a part of that call? You're looking for a reason to live. You're looking for purpose in life. Be a part of moving the purpose of God forward by taking, taking steps of faith. You know, we're going to move to a, a time of communion now. So if you're a person leading a table, if you'd head up to that table. Um, let me tell you what communion is and isn't. We don't believe this becomes a literal body and blood of Jesus. We be, believe this is a, a, a memorial. We're remembering uh, this Jesus who died for us. You don't have to be a member of North Point Community Church to participate. We just ask that you be a follower of Jesus. If you're not sure what that means, feel free to watch. No need to be embarrassed. After I pray, what I'd like to ask is we come up in groups of five or six. The ushers will help direct you. We'll go by section up here, here, this table. And I'll, I'll be at that far table there. Um, we gather around and we'll share in those elements together. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful uh, for the example of Jesus, whose body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Um, pray we'd be men and women who follow Jonathan's lead and ultimately Jesus' lead in uh, being people who take steps of faith. But Lord, that's hard. Uh, empower us to that end. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.